Well, welcome everyone to um, St. Soubry Sips. I'm Emma Swain. I'm the CEO at St. Soubry Estate Vineyards and Winery here in the beautiful Napa Valley. And today we're going to discuss the state of Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S. marketplace and all the things that we love about Sauvignon Blanc. I'm very pleased to have joining me today, Stephen Jones. Stephen is the VP of Food and Beverage for Gate Hospitality Group, including the Five Diamond Point Verde Inn and Club. He's an accomplished hospitality executive with 30 years of experience specializing in food and beverage operations, 15 years managing F&B operations for numerous PGA Tour Tournament Players Club, including Sawgrass. He's a certified sommelier, currently studying for his Burgundy Master Level certification, which we're all a little jealous of that. I love that sort of studying. Um, He's an avid traveler, cyclist, former amateur British boxing champion, and a scuba instructor, Welcome, Stephen. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. In addition, we have Dan Petroski, winemaker and owner of Massacan Napa Valley. Um, He's a Brooklyn native. He caught the wine bug working at Time Magazine and exploring the wine list in New York City. Instead of taking a job at the Wall Street Journal, he moved to Sicily for a year to learn winemaking. Then he landed in Napa Valley and enjoyed a 15-year tenure as winemaker at Larkmead Vineyards in Calistoga. He's a true innovator in Napa Valley, producing sustainably sourced wines, specializing in Mediterranean aromatic whites. And he also produced an excellent Sauvignon Blanc, which we're going to be talking a little bit about today. His wines have been included in Wine Enthusiast's Top 100 Wines for of the year for the past four years and twice in the famed Wine Spectator Top 100 Most Exciting Wines list. He is the 2022 Food and Wine Magazine Drinks Innovator of the Year and the San Francisco Chronicle Winemaker of the Year in 2017. So welcome, Dan. Thank you, Emma. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. And we have the amazing Kelly Audrey White. the acclaimed author of Napa Valley Then and Now, The Definitive Guide to Napa Valley. It's an amazing, amazing resource. So if you don't have it, you should. Former sommelier at Veritas in New York City and press in St. Helena. She was named one of the top 10 sommeliers in the country by Food and Wine Magazine in 2013. Sommelier of the Year by Wine Enthusiast in 2017 and is currently the Director of Education for Meadowood Estate. Welcome, Kelly. Kelly. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you all. So to kind of set the stage, you know, we've um, been talking about Sauvignon Blanc a lot, and we see Sauvignon Blanc as one of the varietals that's actually grown in dollar value more than um, some of the other top varietals here in the U.S. marketplace. And plantings have doubled worldwide over the last 20 years. Um, During the pandemic, Sauvignon Blanc became the fastest growing varietal for 2020 to 2021. Um, But we're also seeing uh, a little less of it being planted in Napa Valley and a lot of it being pulled out. So there's some um, differences of where it's going in the world. Stephen, tell us what you're seeing um, in restaurants and and what do you think is happening with Sauvignon Blanc? From from our standpoint in um, Florida, um, Sauvignon Blanc is, is very, very popular, obviously because of its approachability, um, its versatility, and in keeping with our um, environment that we're in, bright sunshine, ocean breezes, it, it works very, very well for for our climate, and our client base really enjoy it. 
obviously with that, the different stars you get with Sauvignon Blanc as well, Northern Hemisphere, it's Southern Hemisphere, there's wonderful sort of um, great fruity notes, and then where you get all the citrus notes, where you get all herbaceous notes, gives it a lot more sort of flexibility and um, allows us to be work it better into our menus, which, which is good. Yeah, you know, I do find Sauvignon Blanc pairs so well with so many different foods and um, different styles of Sauvignon Blanc kind of go deeper into the spicy foods and not it's not just goat cheese and oysters anymore. Um, what are you seeing as some of kind of the more flexible um, styles of Sauvignon Blanc for food in your restaurants? I mean, as I mentioned, we're actually, I've got two properties in particular that are located on the ocean. They're literally literally a mile and a half away from each other. And two very, very distinct um, uh, styles of, of, of membership and, and clientele. And one is predominantly a um, Sauvignon Blanc um, venue. Um, I can't keep enough varieties, whether, I'm, whether they're drinking New Zealand, whether they're doing more traditional sancerres or they're taking something from Napa Valley, um, the, 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 the membership and the, and the client base there just love the, the, that um, great variety of the Sauvignon Blanc um, while sitting at the beach, looking across at the ocean, enjoying. Um, we, we've got locally here, we have a, a Mayport shrimp, which is um, a local um, shrimp, very similar to the Georgia Whites. Uh, and we incorporate that a lot into our menus and it just works really, really well um, throwing that and some tropical fruits and lovely robust salads and, and just works wonderfully with Sauvignon Blanc. Well, yeah. How do you feel about Sauvignon Blanc? On the, you feel it's here to stay and continue to grow or sort of stabilizing? I've seen it. I mean, we've seen depletions um, within our ranks um, growing um, and we're seeing you know, obviously New Zealand, I've got a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc um, on tap and it, 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 in one of our outlets and it really, it sells very, very well. And to the point, as we all know, New Zealand's going to, we're going to have some, some trouble coming forward with New Zealand's availability to give us um, Sauvignon Blanc. So I'm looking hopefully that some other areas, um, Uruguay, maybe more coming out of South Africa, um, start getting into the American market. Yeah, that's a good point. There has definitely been a shortage from New Zealand and also here in Napa Valley. Um, Kelly, what are you uh, feeling that are the best uh, characteristics of Sauvignon Blanc and, and what do you find the most appealing with Sauvignon Blanc? Well, I think part of Sauvignon Blanc's appeal, as you've already touched upon, is the range of expressions. Um, so, you know, Napa Valley has even Napa Valley has its, I think, traditional signature that's maybe runs a little bit more tropical, not quite as grassy as other parts of the world like New Zealand or South Africa come to mind. But even in just Napa Valley, there's a huge range of styles with some people opting to do a more kind of a, almost a more of a white Bordeaux model with new oak, uh, with a good portion of semion. Um, and then of course, you know, you have the, the clean, crisp versions of Sancerre, et cetera. But even in Sancerre, you can find a lot of wines with like Botrytis now that have a real kind of oily kind of quality to them as well. So it's a grape that really ranges. And like, granted, it's been a while since I really worked the floor in a, in a, in a typical way, but it's what always struck me as very interesting about Sauvignon Blanc is that you know, people tend to, I think in the United States, be kind of variety drinkers. They have their one variety, their Chardonnay drinkers, their Merlot drinkers, their Cabernet drinkers. But with Sauvignon Blanc, people seem to like even narrow it down more specifically. They, they drink New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. They drink Sancerre. They drink Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc, which always really struck me as being kind of 
very specific. There seems to be a really um, developed consumer awareness of the styles within the grape variety. Well, you know, I think that's really interesting because you think of, you know, when California Chardonnay became so popular, it, it was sort of one style of California Chardonnay that was going on. And now, you know, with Sauvignon, you know, it was that oaky style, you know, back in the 90s. And it was very um, consistent. If you said, I want a California Chardonnay, it was sort of the same flavor profile. And I think, you know, with Sauvignon Blanc, it's a very international variety. And you you end up seeing sort of the the stainless steel, the bright um, freshness coming a lot from New Zealand, but then you know you get more of that tropical fruit from from California, and perhaps what we're seeing is not so much a preference for location, but a preference for um, how the wine is made and associating that with the region. I, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I think that that's certainly possible. I'm sure Dan has a lot to say on the subject. I think that. In my experience as a sommelier uh, in Napa Valley, people that were coming here as Cabernet drinkers, where Sauvignon Blanc was kind of maybe an afterthought in a sense of that it was the warming, the opening act, right? Um, they were hoping for like a cleaner, fresher, brighter style, um, but in that sort of tropical vein that Napa Valley does so well, mm -hmm. um, and that was the expectation. And then you had those, I personally found as much as I might have enjoyed them, the kind of more luxury Sauvignon Blanc coming out of Napa Valley to be a lot, really quite difficult to sell. Um, not impossible, but it's a, such a specific style. The audience for that style of wine is so specific. Um, and and the, that was not necessarily the expectation of most people about what Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc was like. That's true because there's there's such small quantities as well that you don't get as much exposure to those wines. Um, thoughts on um, blending a Sauvignon Blanc with Semillon, other varietals? Um, what do what do you see sort of as the trends? Um, well, I mean, I think that you know, there's Sauvignon Blanc has the classic partner in Semillon. Um, which I think is really successful in a place like Bordeaux. Here it can make really exciting wines, but I think that one of the other characteristics of Sauvignon Blanc that's so compelling is its kind of ability to make delicious wine at a, over a spectrum of ripeness. So you could almost blend Sauvignon Blanc with itself, just picked at a different ripeness, and achieve that same sort of um, enriching that, that increase in complexity that you can by blending it with with Semillon. As far as blending it with other things, I don't really know that I've had Semillon Blanc blended with too many things other than Semillon. I'm sure I have, but I can't think of anything. Well, I have to say that is something we do at St. Superi with 220 acres of Sauvignon Blanc. We definitely pick at different ripeness levels to do exactly, as you said, achieve those different levels of flavor and complexity in the wine. Um, anything that you're seeing stylistically that's um, coming up with from cutting edge producers is uh, new trends in Sauvignon Blanc. Well, I would say that, um, and part of the reason why I'm happy that Dan is here is that 
there seems to be, there was this idea that Sauvignon Blanc was either kind of cheap and cheerful, or it was being made in a style of white Bordeaux. And those were kind of, those were the options. Um, and now I'm feeling like I'm seeing producers, uh, Mazikin's a great example, um, as a saint Soubry, um, taking Sauvignon Blanc a lot more seriously, but without taking it so far in that kind of classic, you know, new oak, and plus semi-on direction. That's not the only route to taking the variety seriously. And so and what I mean by um, taking it seriously, I mean, just like treating it with a lot of loving care and not making it a kind of cash flow, um, you know, support unit for your Cabernet production, really taking the wine and making it, uh, giving it a lot of honor in the cellar, uh, maybe experimenting with different fermentation vessels, differing levels of ripeness, as we discussed, maybe not bottling it, you know, not the sort of stainless steel bottle a couple months later, boom, it's on the market, like treating it more like a serious um, wine and not just an appetizer. Um, so I'm seeing, I feel like I'm seeing that, but maybe it's because I really like that style of Sauvignon Blanc. I like then I really enjoy Napa Valley Samuel, but especially when it's treated with a lot of care and isn't just, you know, kind of turn and burn. Um, so I look for it is probably why I feel like I'm seeing it a bit more. Well, you know, I think that's interesting too, because I think that that's really happening, um, you know, as you say, the the simple sips to the more serious wine. I think we're seeing that with rosé as well. You know, you're going from the, the porch pounder to a wine that's serious, that you're really um, enjoying the expression of the fruit and flavor and the skill of the winemaker and the, the terroir that you're seeing. So um, it's fun to see that happening with a couple of varietals that, uh, you know, being taken a little more seriously. Um, Dan, you know, you are very terroir driven um, in your approach. And I know you believe that Sauvignon Blanc should be treated with a lot of respect and your Sauvignon Blanc is. Um, do you want to share with us some of your thoughts on Sauvignon Blanc and how we're we're producing it here in Napa Valley and around the world? Oh, for sure. And I, I do think I want to add to what Kelly was saying about giving uh, this grape variety a little bit more respect and love uh, from the winemaking perspective in the cellar. And back in 2008, 2009, when I was at Larkby, we decided to change the evolution of our Sauvignon Blanc from a fresh, bright um, appetizer wine to something that deserved a, a greater uh, time spent on the table over a longer course of the meal. And the easiest way we did that and the quickest way to market to think of that was we treated Sauvignon Blanc like Chardonnay. We wanted it to feel like Chardonnay, but taste like Sauvignon Blanc because everyone knows that Chardonnay has a little bit more elevated luxury of a style. Um, and with Sauvignon Blanc had this little bit more of that, as you said earlier, the oysters and, and goat cheese style, which is the fresh and the fast. Um, so I think the whole Napa Valley took turns in figuring out what worked for them. Uh, whether it be the 100% new French oak approach that Philippe Melka took, you know, early on at uh, Vineyard 29 and priced the wine over $100. Um, he did the same thing at Lale. And, and then, as you saw, we still have a marketplace here with the Honigs and the Long Meadow Ranches and the Duckhorns that are that have that entry level brightness bringing into the into um, the Sauvignon Blanc game. So Napa Valley has done a great job of of kind of swinging the pendulum of Sauvignon Blanc, um, but unfortunately in the last 10 years, as you mentioned, and we are, we're seeing less plantings of Sauvignon Blanc. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Napa Valley as a wine growing region is so hands-on. Our, our craft of viticulture is more about making wine 
and being in the vineyards. And um, and unfortunately, Sauvignon Blanc wasn't you know commanding the price points uh, for farmers. So you know, three tons of Cabernet Sauvignon were, were worth thirty thousand dollars for you, where six tons of Sauvignon Blanc, which takes a little bit more time to harvest at, on the, on that that at August morning, is only worth eighteen thousand dollars to you. So yeah. there was just easy quick and easy, dirty math on the back of an envelope that said, Sauvignon Blanc's not right for this place. Um, although we need it here, it is right for this place. It works perfectly with everything we do stylistically. And um, that for me is, uh, uh, it, it's a shame here in Napa Valley. And I'm glad that you, that you know, to hear you say, Emma, that you have 220 acres under vine for Sauvignon Blanc. You are fully committed to it. We're sitting here talking about it. Um, <laughs> Because honestly, I've, I've jokingly, and it's not a joke, said that Sauvignon Blanc deserves the title as one of the world's greatest noble grape varieties. Um, me, nobility in, in, in a grape variety is its ability to travel. And not only has Sauvignon Blanc traveled to, to New Zealand, to South Africa, to Chile, to Napa Valley, to Friuli, to Alto Adige, from, from Bordeaux to Sancerre, it has actually created industries. It created an entire industry in New Zealand. It created the entire sweet wine sauternes industry in France, in Bordeaux. Like this is a great variety that that needs to be on the pedestal with uh, Pinot Noir and Cabernet as we think about some of the world's great grape varieties. Um, and to me, that is, uh, and then the styles that, that 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 both Stephen and Kelly talked about, and, and the variations and the diversity and the approachability is amazing. And from a winemaking perspective, yeah, like this this quick. Turnaround. Sauvignon Blanc doesn't get bottle shock. You can bring it in, get it fermented, keep it reduced, keep the aromatic intensity in there, and then bottle it very quickly and put it to market um, in February, March, April, and have a delicious wine. So um, I think there's so much, uh, so much love for my uh, for my little corner of the world for Sauvignon Blanc. It uh, it's uh, and I'm glad you guys are sitting here talking about it on a <laughs> on a morning in Napa Valley. It's amazing. So Dan, you know, you are seeing a lot of different um, styles going on in Napa Valley and around the world. You're much more in tune to it as a, a winemaker than the rest of us are. Do you want to kind of comment on some of the um, innovation that you're seeing and and how that um, innovation is being expressed to the, the consumer? Because, you know, our guests are, um, are seeing names on a wine list and they're seeing a varietal on a wine list, but maybe they're not um, understanding what those variances are in the winemaking technique and how do we how do we know about that and convey that no for sure i i i don't think the bordelais get enough credit for um for the implementation of skin contact you know i think everyone wants to immediately go to northeast italy and and friuli and grape varieties like Rabola Gialla, but for hundreds of years um you know the the bordeaux winemakers were, were were macerating their sauvignon blanc because this is a grape variety with tremendous amounts of acidity and that acidity was too fresh. It was too cool of a climate for them to ripen the grape variety to a point of uh, of desirability and approachability in the glass. They were spending, you know, 24, 48 hours after destemming, soaking the Sauvignon Blanc on its skins and allowing that juice to soften its acidity and raise its pH. So this has been happening for hundreds of years. Um, so they, they've been doing things like that, um, that have been, uh, you know, that have been kind of uh, innovative in a, in a way of bringing a forefront to uh, um, kind of a new style of wine, which is a thing called orange wine. Um, but I, I go back to what uh, both Stephen and Kelly said about you know people being 
New Zealand wine drinkers versus California Sauvignon Blanc drinkers versus Sancerre versus Bordeaux. Um, we have found our pathway in a very short period of time. I think a lot of people don't realize that the New Zealand wine industry kind of mirrored the Napa Valley, Sonoma County, California wine industry, where it came to the forefront in the 80s after phylloxera um, ripped through um, both territories and the replanting started to happen. Prior to Sauvignon Blanc in, 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 um, in New Zealand, you had, they had like Muller Thurgau and they had a bunch of other grape varieties that allowed them that weren't even very respected on the marketplace. So they were able to get rid of them and then bring in Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay and things like Pinot Noir. Um, that timetable in New Zealand was very similar to what was happening here. The the Napa Valley, we, we had to overcome, you know, a decision Bob Mondavi made in 1966, 1967, when he did not wish to use the word Sauvignon Blanc on his wine and called it, you know, Fume Blanc, as in Pui Fume. And that was a huge marketing win for Mandavi at the time. And it allowed us in the California wine industry to put a fresh white wine uh, under cork. And uh, it took us a while. It took us, you know, almost 40 years to come back to, to a love and respect for Sauvignon Blanc in the Napa Valley. And, and the style here is just, is just glorious. Um, and I do think that we've, you know, kind of, we reached the, the, the epitome of, of what an American Napa Valley wine drinker wants in a glass. And that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. And so you also work with a lot of other um, white wine varietals um, that are very aromatic at, at Mexican. Can you um, share why you include uh, Sauvignon Blanc with that and, and what you sort of enjoy about aromatic whites? So my original um, foray into the wine industry was I moved to uh, Italy in 2005, 2006 for a year. And in the Mediterranean climate, I drank a lot of uh, fresh white wines. And it was just something that was culturally significant with regards to the food and wine pairing scene. Um, and I moved to California. And I realized very quickly that, um, you know, we're, we're in a community that drinks a lot of big, rich, bold, fruit forward wines and, and whether it be Pinot Noirs in Sonoma or Cabernets in Napa. And I found that there was a cultural disconnect uh, of the food and wine scene here. Um, the, the, the weather spoke to the Mediterranean, but the, but the, the dinner table spoke to, you know, hedonistic, rich um, powerful wines. And I thought that that was a little bit of a disconnect. So I started, you know, kind of reminiscing and romanticizing and uh, being nostalgic for the time I lived in Italy and the wines I drank at that time. So I had actually, you know, Kelly asked about, or mentioned earlier that she may not recall some of the Sauvignon Blancs and, and a weird other grape varieties they've been blended with over the years. But if, uh, if Kelly and I have shared a lot of Frulli and wine together, because that's my one true love. And uh, a lot of those wines include Sauvignon Blanc and Tocafi and Ribola Jala, sometimes some Riesling, uh, Pinot Grigio is blended into there. So I wanted to make a singular, you know, uh, Calatal style wine with uh, uh, with Sauvignon Blanc as part of the of the blend. But what I realized very quickly, the vineyard I had sourced was um, a very powerful and and pungent and and you know had a big ego on on the nose and on the palate. That even at a small blending component of five percent, the wine was Sauvignon Blanc based, and I wasn't interested in making a Sauvignon Blanc based blend. I was interested in making a Calatal style white wine, very aromatic um, and bottled Sauvignon Blanc on its side. Um, 50 cases. And then I went from 50 cases in year one to, uh, to something that I just can't stop um, trying to source fruit and then grow my production and, and put in glasses wherever I can nationwide. 
Well, it's I love your your passion for all wine, Dan, and your your creativity. That's what we you know enjoy in Napa Valley is always um, striving for excellence in all we do, whether it's a red wine or a white wine, or particularly Sauvignon Blanc. Um, so talking about you know um, how people are choosing Sauvignon Blanc on. Um, by region, which is also sort of seeming to be quite stylistically chosen. Um, how important is Sauvignon Blanc on a, a wine list? And, and maybe Stephen, you can um, kind of comment back to that. Is it important to have all the regions represented? And, and what do you think some of the best pairings are um, on your menus? Thank you. Um, I think having Sauvignon Blancs on our wine list, um, it, it's very important. Um, but again, based upon your, those of us who have been in the restaurant world, you're going to look at what your clients are actually and your members are actually drinking. Um, as a wine drinker myself, I'd love to have every region represented on, on the wine list, but you're going to go to go where your sales are, are dictating whether you've got, a, as we said, a, a group um, that are predominantly drifting towards the New Zealand style or they're on the, on, on the um, the Napa style, where you've got the the individuals that are going to um, Loire Valley with Sancerre's and and the Puyfumes of the world, I think it's still very important that you you represent um, the wines are represented both by the glass and obviously by the bottle um, on all your wine programs. Um, whether you you we've got the wine programs, whether it's at a a poolside um, uh, food truck concept or going through to some of the other um, dining outlets. Um, from a pairing standpoint, um, as I mentioned, with, with Florida, um, it's great summer. It's a beautiful day today here. Um, great seafood, great salads. Um, and it's a, it's a very, very, as we talked before, before, it's a very, very approachable wine. And I think for a lot of people, it's also um, that wine that takes them into the, into the next step of their exploration of the wine world get some out of drinking, you know, the, the, the lower, the, the intro wines. It's for them, it's a little bit more sort of um, nuances, the fewer different profiles on, on the on the palate, and it, it takes them off now. They can now start exploring the world of wine. I think the Sauvignon Blanc is that stepping stone for a lot of people. Kelly, any thoughts from you on um, how to craft a, a great wine list around um, Sauvignon Blanc and what you should be including? Sure. I mean, and this this may not be a direct answer to your question, but I remember, you know, when Scott and I were getting established at Press um, back in 2010, we were we had a, a kind of a mission um, to get people to stop drinking Cabernet with their oysters. And so, I mean, I think my husband wore like, holes in the carpet just running around frantically with Sauvignon Blanc, just giving it to people for free to just, you know, knock it off. Um, but that was a, ultimately a losing battle. People are still enjoying Cabernet with oysters to this day, I'm sure. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it was important for us in the context of that specific wine list, Sauvignon Blanc, and this is maybe to its, um, to its demise. Sauvignon Blanc was important in the context of an all Napa wine list for a lot of reasons, um, stylistically from a food pairing perspective, but also it offered a price point from Napa uh, that was kind of a, a way in for sometimes, you know, Napa Valley wines like love it or leave it. Um, it's, you know, it, you have to discuss the fact that generally speaking, they have a higher price point um, than other regions around the world and certainly other regions in California. So um, because of that, um, you're often catching a wine drinker or a wine lover kind of later in the arc of their 
their life. Um, and Sauvignon Blanc from a blue chip region like Napa Valley, though not, you know, the Cabernet that most people kind of come here for is a way in. Um, and so it, it just, it, it provided stylistic diversity, more food pairing versatility, but also um, diversity of price point, which I think was important. Um, so, so that was really key. Um, you know, at, in my former life working with international wine lists in New York City, you know, Sauvignon Blanc, like for all the reasons that we've already discussed, you know, tells a, a global story. Um, it's a really interesting kind of way to to talk about, um, you know, terroir because it has all these different expressions. It's a really great way to talk about um, market forces because there are, you know, reasons why um, the grape has kind of flourished in the places that it has to talk about climate. And I also always found Sauvignon Blanc an interesting Point from like a teaching perspective and how to talk about pyrazines. Um, because I think, you know, one of the things that, that we, we haven't really discussed, and that's probably my fault um, to talk about the flavor profile is that, you know, Sauvignon Blanc has a, a signature sort of pyrazine stamp, and that can manifest in a variety of ways. I think that, you know, the kind of gooseberry, um, uh, grassy uh, nuances of a Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc are one expression. Um, in Napa Valley, where things are a little bit riper, we might get more of like a minty kind of quality um, or a cucumber quality. Um, that is also an expression of pyrazines. Um, so South Africa has, I think, a pretty intense level of pyrazine expression. Um, and, you know, that's something it's it's a way to kind of explain what's happening in Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc, which are all, you know, very mm -hmm. close relatives. Right. Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc being the mommy and daddy of Cabernet Sauvignon. So, um, you know, I think it's it's a way to kind of um, comfort the consumer that they don't need to be afraid of green flavors, that they actually like them in other wines. And so it's just a, it's just a, it's just a really fertile um, wine subject to take in a lot of different directions. Yeah, I, I think um, that's a great example of, I love the green, um, good green flavors in a uh, Cabernet Franc as well. And just um, as well as in uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, depending on how they're expressed. Um, Dan, any, any thoughts on, um, you know, as a winemaker, when you walk into a restaurant and you go to choose a Sauvignon Blanc, what, what are some of the things you want to see from a diversity perspective on a wine list? It's a great question. Um, I'm actually a little bit more of a traditionalist in that way. I do still come born and raised in New York City. And um, I remember the days of uh, eating and drinking in New York City restaurants. And you go to a bistro and on the, the list, you, there was Sancerre by the glass. There was Chablis by the glass. There was um, uh, Claret by the glass. And that's how you chose. You didn't know the producer. You didn't know the vintage. And it was just, it, it, it kind of took the conversation off the table and made it more about being around the table um, and spending time eating and drinking well. Um, today, I am, I am definitely the first person who wished, who raised their hand um, and wants to buy a Sauvignon Blanc off a restaurant wine list. Uh, I think it's really hard here living uh, and working in Napa Valley to see the diverse 
uh, world of Sauvignon Blanc come to our restaurants. Um, I think when you know our our business here is uh, is is built on travel and tourism, and people come here to drink the wines of Napa Valley. Um, but then, therefore, we have such an ability, a great ability here to go from, as Kelly mentioned, the price points to the stylistic variability, like changes, and you can climb that ladder. So um, you can go and have a really you can have a bistro friendly Sauvignon Blanc at, at uh, Bouchon. Uh, you can have a little bit more barrel friendly, richer style. Um, at a more fine dining restaurant up here in St. Helena Press or the restaurant at Meadowood or, or the like. Uh, so I, I, I like the diversity. I just don't think we we get enough of it here in, in, in Napa um, from, you know, the places like Bordeaux or Chile, Friuli, for that matter, um, South Africa, all those wines. Uh, um, I'm always scouting them out when I'm uh, on the road and at restaurants. Yeah, that is the nice thing about um, being in the Northeast. There's always a, a greater influx of um, different wines from around the world that you can try, particularly from Europe. Um, and here in Napa Valley, we do support um, our local our local businesses as well. And um, so, how how important do you think, Dan, um, is Sauvignon Blanc to Napa Valley in, in particular? You know, we've seen it evolve over the years and we've seen a lot being removed. What do you sort of see the, the future of Sauvignon Blanc? Because we're seeing a lot of wineries going outside of Napa Valley for that Sauvignon Blanc. And, and for me, one of the things that makes Sauvignon Blanc special in Napa Valley is all the same things that make Cabernet Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon special um, in Napa Valley and those you know warm days and cool nights. And I, I'm just not going to get that same flavor profile to me moving outside of Napa Valley. And, and what are you sort of seeing for the future it's it's not a very uh promising future for Sauvignon Blanc although me being a, a winery that sources Sauvignon Blanc I am very fortunate to 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 be uh, meeting vineyard growers who are planting a little bit more Sauvignon Blanc here and there um in the climate changing world as we're thinking about and in a, in a world in Napa Valley where we unfortunately had the tragic uh, fires in 2017 and 2020 um, farmers are looking for cash crops for lack of a better term they're looking for crops that are going to harvest earlier in the season that will provide them you know an economic value and cash flow so I do think that there is going to be a little bit of a, a, a bump in our recent plantings of Sauvignon Blanc um, but overall the the economics of, of it's sad to bring this to a conversation about economics, but the economics of living, working, and making wine in Napa Valley, Sauvignon Blanc as a grape variety doesn't warrant um, the pricing, and it doesn't warrant the consumer demand at the levels in which we have to sell those bottles of wine um, uh, to, to kind of make back some of that money. Uh, it's it's very unfortunate. So I do think we'll we'll still stay within a you know a very small percentage of the planted acreage here in Napa Valley. Um, but I do, but I do feel there's positive benefit in being, you know, a little bit less of a monoculture and diversifying your crops so that you have, uh, when an unfortunate circumstance or tragedy happens, like a wildfire, we will be able to kind of, you know, at least get some of the grapes off the vine and in the cellar and hopefully under cork for, uh, for our consumers. Yeah, for sure. Kelly, any, any thoughts on, um, kind of looking to the future of, um, Sauvignon Blanc in Napa Valley and around the world? Well, I, I, I'm also um, appreciative that we're having this podcast and that you're taking the time to celebrate it because I, I really believe in Sauvignon Blanc as Napa Valley is white. It just makes so much sense. Not only is it kind of, you know, the 
companion of Cabernet Sauvignon, but also it, you know, in a sense, it's a much better fit than Chardonnay. And, you know, last time I looked at the crop report, Chardonnay was still the second most widely planted grape here in Napa Valley, which is wild. And of course, most of that is concentrated in the South, you know, in the colder areas, but unlike Chardonnay, you know, that really needs a colder climate in order to stay kind of interesting. Um, Sauvignon Blanc retains its acidity at, um, at high heat. It retains its quality at a higher crop load. Um, you know, I just think it responds well to, um, our, our volcanic soils and a range of the different kind of, um, terroirs that we have here. And so I, I think it's really worth fighting for. And I know, you know, these pesky market forces, um, aren't hard to argue with, um, but they're from a purely qualitative standpoint, there's a lot of reasons um, to fight for Sauvignon Blanc here. So I, I, I definitely, you know, it makes me sad to think that the plantings are going away. I think Dan is absolutely right. It just makes sense from a diversification um, portfolio. You know, let's not all have our eggs all in one basket. Um, but, uh, but, but hopefully, hopefully it's future is secure. I'm not sure if that exactly answers your question. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I I think that's a, a great answer. I, I I'm hoping that uh, you know we're we're still going to see Sauvignon Blanc as a force in Napa Valley. Obviously, it's important to us. We have it planted on a, a variety of different soils, and we do find that um, you know it does well for us in a you know in the same soil that Cabernet Sauvignon does, but it also does well in other soils. And um, you know we we do a lot of Clone One Sauvignon Blanc, and in a higher magnesium soil, we find that we get some really just beautiful tropical flavors, a lot of pink grapefruit flavors, and. Um, and there's soils that that we have at, at Dollar Hide that we feel, um, you know, Sauvignon Blanc um, kind of excels in. And so hopefully there's some, you know, other spots in Napa Valley where, um, you know, the soil is a little bit more um, in tune to Sauvignon Blanc over Cabernet Sauvignon. And, um, and kind of looking at that diversity, I mean, we have half the world soil orders here, so... Um, hopefully as we, we look around, we'll see some, um, plantings in some spots that maybe from like, Oh, I'm not getting the best Cabernet from this spot. Maybe it's time to swap it over. I mean, at, at St. Supery, um, we used to have a lot of Merlot, um, where we have Sauvignon Blanc planted and, um, the Merlot was not fantastic at all. And the Sauvignon Blanc is so, um, you know, sometimes there can be some of those economic decisions, um, can be, can be positive for, for Sauvignon Blanc. We just need a, a few more of them <laughs> to be, to be positive, um, for it. Um, Stephen, anything you want to add on, um, how you see the future of Sauvignon Blanc, um, from a wine list perspective or, a, um, varietal or location perspective? I get what Dan was saying from an, from an economic standpoint. I mean, if I own the, the vineyard area as well, you, you want to make the most cash out of your land that you've got, which, which, is, which is understandable. Um, but from a client standpoint, um, from, from a consumer, a drinker, I think you have to have um, Sauvignon Blanc. It's such, as we say, we keep, keep saying, it's such a versatile grape um, and it, 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 appeals, um, in all, it appeals in all, all parts of your menu. Um, and it gives you that flexibility, whether it's you can have it as an appetizer. You, you say you've got it through the main course. You've got the sweet end of it to close your evening out with. Um, so it's got it, it's got so many so many hats you can play with it. It's, it, it, it just has to be there as far as I'm concerned. Um, we have 
um, you know, a plethora of restaurant, restaurants in between the group. We've got 17 different outlets, um, as I mentioned before, from a poolside um, food truck, which we can serve, um, unfortunately, it's in service tumblers and, and stemless plastic glassware, but we still serve, you know, wines by the glass around the pool, which is great fun, to everything to um, Oceanside and to um, fine dining. And um, Savion Blanc has its place in all the outlets. Uh, so for us, I just want to see more of it. So. Well, me too. You know, I mean, we make a lot, we make uh, four different styles of Sauvignon Blanc and, um, you know, we love them all and they all have their, their place. There's no, um, favorite child. Um, they're all the the favorite child is, um, is Wayne. Um, so just uh, thank you so much for all of you joining me today, but I would like to just say if there's anything else that I failed to ask or, um, final thoughts on, on Sauvignon Blanc, um, or, or anything wine that you want to share, maybe we start with you, Dan, um, if you, anything else you want to share. No, I just, uh, we, we appreciate you for doing this um, and continuing to shine a light on Sauvignon Blanc. Um, I'm looking forward to a Sauvignon Blanc day and uh, raising a glass with you. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but I'm just, I'm just hopeful that uh, Sauvignon Blanc will, will, will go down in the, in the archives of, it's one of the greatest grapes on this planet for, for, for making diverse and approachable wines at all levels. And, um, and uh, thank you again for, for having us. Thank you. Kelly, anything you want to add? Uh, not really. Just wanted to echo Dan's sentiments that I'm happy to be here and to be um, furthering this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, and Stephen, thank you. Thank you. Um, and we appreciate you all joining us. And um, and we will be celebrating uh, Sauvignon Blanc Day on uh, May 6th. And as, as we always do at St. Subaru, it's a very important day for us. So um, we love to celebrate Sauvignon Blanc and we'll raise a glass with all of you. So thanks for joining us. And uh, next up on our St. Supri Sips will be um, Rosé. And we'll have another conversation about uh, Rosé and all of the um, wonderful styles of Rosé from the Porch Pounder to the um, Sirius Sips um, that are coming to the marketplace today. So thank you all for joining us. (laughs) 